Thanks for joining us today. I'm Rob Parker, lead pastor at The Plant Church. Our vision is to know Christ and make him known. If you are interested in getting connected or if we can help you in any way, email us at info at theplantchurch.org. Hello, Plant Church. Pastor Jeremy here. I want to thank you so much for joining us for this online worship gathering. I'm so glad to be sharing with you here in this Christmas season. You know, I remember when I was a kid growing up, we would often go shopping in Nanuet, New York, on Route 59, this big shopping area. And on many occasions, when we would go there in the evening, every once in a while, we would see these big searchlights and spotlights all throughout the sky, moving throughout the sky, beaming throughout the sky. And I don't really see those anymore. I haven't really seen them. Maybe they're, they're rare or they're banned by the FAA or something. But as a kid, I thought those lights were so cool. They were so powerful and they were multiple lights and they would be turning and spinning. And not just that, they're, they're, the beam of those lights were so powerful that it would shoot and it would reach the clouds. And it would go across the sky for miles and miles. An amazing sight to see. My immediate thought as a kid was one of great excitement and curiosity. And I thought it was so fascinating, thinking what was it for? More importantly, where was this light coming from? What was its origin? It was as exciting as trying to find the end of a rainbow. And I just wanted to go and find out. Someone or somebody was attracting so much, so much attention to that one spot to draw people there. Whatever it was, it was something incredible, of incredible significance. So we would drive down with my parents, and as we were driving, we would head in that direction. What was it? Was it a spaceship? Was it a, a movie premiere like 20th Century Fox? Was it something they were searching for in the sky like a rogue pilot or an enemy aircraft? No, it was something much more captivating, much more significant. The origin of, of those lights were none other than the grand reopening of a Pathmark supermarket, supermarket grocery store, or in some cases, a brand new car dealership. Whatever it was, I had this deep desire and this intense hunger and curiosity to want to find out where those lights were coming from and what it was pointing to. I had my eyes fixed on those lights the whole time in the car ride, looking out the window, following it. And when I finally arrived, I was probably a very unlikely visitor. The supermarket was probably more excited about drawing my parents there to come and spend money and become lifelong customers of that store. Over the last few weeks, we have been in our sermon series called The Upside Down Christmas. We have been looking at unlikely characters in the Christmas narrative and learning about the unlikely nature of the kingdom of God. We've seen that God chooses unlikely people with unlikely backgrounds in unlikely circumstances and in unlikely ways to accomplish his purposes, including his plan of salvation. This morning, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be going to take a look at an unlikely story of the wise men who saw a sign in the sky and decided to follow it. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. Visitors from the east. 
Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it arose, and we have come to worship him. So as we begin, I just want to give you a little bit of background information. During the intertestamental period, the period between the Old Testament and New Testament, there was this long period of 400 years in which God was silent, and he was silent in speaking through his prophets, up until the New Testament when, when we see Jesus' birth. During those years, the Greek Empire rose and spread its culture and language throughout that entire territory, and it started to decline. And as it declined, the Roman Empire came and took its place and took over that area of Judea, placing King Herod, the Herodian dynasty, as kings of Israel, kings of, king of the Jews. And that dynasty supported the Roman Empire and the Roman oppressor. The first thing we learn as we look at this passage is this, and it's that God points the way to himself. God points the way to himself. So when we see these, these wise men, who were they? Who are these mysterious, unlikely wise men? Our English translation of wise men come from the Greek word magos or magi, which describes people who study the movements of the stars and heavenly bodies. And they have this special knowledge about that. They were a combination of philosophers, astronomers, and astrologers all in one. And if you know anything about astronomy over the last uh, year or two, I, I've delved down into learning about astronomy and, and all these things. I love space exploration. And if you know something about that, you know that, that through observation of, of the universe and space, almost everything can be predicted. The movement of the stars, the movement of the planets, all these things can be predicted. But in the ancient, so in the ancient world, when, when things were, were uncertain in general, the ability to predict things was very much valuable. And when there was something out of the ordinary in the sky, something that was non-cyclical, you would notice it. And that was the case for these wise men. The scripture says that they were from eastern lands, which we assume to be Persia or modern-day Iran. They likely traveled 800 or 900 miles to be on that journey. And also, unlike what we traditionally think, there, there were not just three wise men, but there was rather this huge delegation and caravan of these people that came. And I also hate to break it to you, but they also didn't come to the manger, to the nativity scene like we traditionally know. But it says, they, it says later that they came to the house where Jesus was as a young child. So Jesus was likely between one and two years old at that point. But that's okay. My nativity set at home has the three wise men, and yours can keep that too. I'm not changing, and, and you don't need to change that as well. So if they came from Persia, the Magi, they were scholars. They would have likely known the, 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 the Old Testament prophets and, and the writings of all these prophets throughout the Old Testament, including the prophet Daniel, since Daniel was a court advisor in Persia. Daniel chapter 9, verse 24 to 27, gives us a, a timeline of when the Messiah was, was coming. And in addition to that, the scripture of Numbers, chapter 24, verse 17, and Balaam's prophecy gives a prophecy regarding a star. 
So these wise men who were wise and scholarly, they would have already understood these scriptures and prophecies. Now, what was this star? It's referred to actually as his star, not necessarily the star of Bethlehem. But was the star a celestial star? Was it the alignment of Jupiter and Saturn, which is happening in a couple weeks that people have been talking about? Was it a comet? Was it a supernova or some other kind of supernatural phenomenon in the heavenly realms that God used like the pillar of fire leading the, the Israelites? Who knows, but we will call it a star as we know it. But what was very unusual about the star was that, that it moved in an unusual way. It did move from, from east to west, which might have been normal, but later we see that it moved from Jerusalem to Bethlehem, which was a north-south. And, it, and what was very unusual is that after moving, the star actually stopped and suspended its movement over where Jesus was. You see, the, the Magi studied this unusual star using their knowledge of astronomy and then interpreted it with their knowledge of the Old Testament scriptures. And when they brought the two together, they got curious they got excited, and they had this intense desire to want to go after it and find out what was there. They knew that it was a sign that the Jewish king would be born. You see, in this case, God used general revelation, the revelation of himself through nature, to meet them where their eyes were looking in the stars and to draw them following the stars and drawing them to himself. Charles Spurgeon shares that although Jesus was born into a lowly situation, the angels and principalities and the heavenly bodies began to stir, that the star was put into commission to await the Lord to be the herald for men far away. The creator of the universe was directing the stars to draw people to himself. People who we may think were unlikely, the magi, those that had come from a different country, different ethnicity, who were not just poor, but they were wealthy and educated and who were scholars. For God so loved the world, all people, all races, all ethnicities. When the magi saw this unmistakable sign in the sky, they did not carry on with their daily work of philosophy or astronomy, or, but they realized that this was what they were waiting for. They said, no matter what the cost, we have to find this king and worship him. And they embarked on this relentless journey. They saw the scriptures. They looked into the sky and saw all the signs and they connected the dots and they stepped out in faith. And they departed for Jerusalem because that was a capital city. And they thought that if there was a new king to be born, he would be expected to be found there. The Magi were unlikely visitors on an unlikely journey to find the true king. And God was pointing the way for unlikely people like them to find himself. If you are honest with yourself, I'm sure you have seen the signs of God calling you to himself throughout your life. But the real question is, how have you responded? Let's find out. Let's go to verse 3. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. 
He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, Where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you who will be a shepherd for my people, Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for this child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. So this was King Herod the Great. There were several King Herod. So this was King Herod the Great. So who was he? He was this great but ruthless and cruel king. And instead of being loyal to his own people, he was loyal to the Roman Empire that supported him and placed him in power. Furthermore, as he got older, he was increasingly power hungry. And he started to, to, to get jealous and paranoid about his, his, his ability to rule. And he says it later that he even assassinated his own family members. Much like we would hear the paranoia of Saul in the Old Testament. So when the Magi and this delegation arrived, at first he was probably pleasantly surprised to see them, thinking that they were coming from foreign lands to visit him. Until, of course, they opened, the, opened their mouths. And it says that he was deeply, deeply disturbed along with all his supporters in Jerusalem, I'm sure. Imagine, you are this ruthless, paranoid king, and then all of a sudden this big international delegation of People come looking for a new king that is not you. What an insult and humiliation. We are here, so where is this new king? And then the king, it said, he asked his religious advisors uh, where this Messiah king would be born. And these were all people that he most likely appointed himself. But they correctly stated that from Micah chapter 5 verse 2 that the Messiah king would be born in Bethlehem of Judea. It says, Micah chapter 5, verse 2 to 4. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, are only a small village among all the people of Judah. Yet a ruler of Israel, whose origins are in the distant past, will come from you on my behalf. The people of Israel will be abandoned to their enemies until the woman in labor gives birth. Then at last his fellow countrymen will return from exile to their own land, and he will stand to lead his flock with the Lord's strength in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. So Herod, being manipulative, arranged for this private meeting with the wise men to tell them to come back and report where this child king was. And he also wanted to know when the star first appeared so he could make an estimate about the age of this child to profile him because, of course, what he was trying to do is he was trying to identify and kill this child. So how did Herod respond to this great news from the Magi? Was he excited? Was he, was he full of joy? No. Instead, he was bitter. He was jealous. He was manipulative. And he was filled with this deep hate. He wanted to sabotage God's plan. How did the religious leaders respond? Were they excited and overjoyed? No. Even with their scriptural knowledge, they knew where the king would be born and for generations, they, they might have been expectant of his coming, but instead they responded with indifference. And instead of submitting to their future King Messiah, they submitted to King Herod. 
How do you respond to the signs that God has revealed to you, drawing you to himself? Do you know why Herod responded that way? He had made himself God. He, he made himself so much at the center of his own universe and his own kingdom that he had created for himself that he could not see the signs that God had put out in the real universe, even when the Magi visited him. He could have very well gone to worship him too. But any threat to his kingdom and his life and his power needed to be neutralized. How do you respond to the signs that God is sending you? Is a call of God too great and too much of a threat to your already established life, your already established rhythms, your already established desires and wants, your already established goals, and your already established kingdom in which you have made yourself king? Do you know why the, the priests and the teachers responded how they did? When God sent them the sign of the Magi, instead of, instead of giving God their allegiance, they surrendered to the voices of the world and to their evil king. It was too much of a cost for them. And they missed out on, on seeing firsthand their, their, ancient, their own ancient prophecy coming true. As I was studying this, I was, I was realizing and thinking, wow, what if the, the Magi were sent to Jerusalem not by accident but they were heading there by God on purpose to tell the king to tell the religious leaders to tell the teachers to tell the politicians in the capital city that that the messiah that the savior king had been born they should have been the first to say could this be true when we look at our scripture and, and we see everything lines up to the prophecy we should all go and worship him too in Bethlehem what better more clear sign could they have received Maybe there are some of you here today that, that you might say that you haven't seen the signs of God that he has placed in your life. And if you are someone that doesn't know God, I want to affirm you and let you know that God has been at work planting signs and revealing signs throughout your life to lead you to him. They could be instances that you have seen of his miracles, of circumstances, of blessings, of words from friends and, and relatives, nudges in your heart. If you are someone that, that knows God, but you have drifted away, I want to affirm you in telling you that he's still placing waypoints and signs throughout your life to draw you to himself. Maybe it's your spouse or your child or your friend or your pastor that have been telling you for years and years, it's now time to come back. It's now time to come back to church again. It's time to pray again. It's time to seek Jesus again. It's time to surrender your life to him again because he has a life better in store for you than the life that you have set to create, create for your own. But you are still like, God, show me the signs when the signs are all around your life. How have you responded to God? So these likely visitors to Jerusalem left and headed again as unlikely visitors to an unlikely town, Bethlehem to give unlikely worship. He calls us the unlikely to worship him. Verse 9, after this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. 
When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed and they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. So the Magi had set out from Jerusalem to Bethlehem, and they saw the same star that had led them there in the first place. And as they traveled, they, they saw the sign had stopped over where the house stood, or where the place stood, and they were filled with joy. Bethlehem Ephrathah. Bethlehem Ephrathah was, was seemingly an unlikely and insignificant small town for a king. But it was a town where Jacob had buried Rachel, where Ruth had, had met Boaz. It was a town in which David was born and, and Samuel was seeking him out to anoint him as king, as part of God's dynasty that would reign forever through Jesus. So these unlikely visitors follow the star and it stopped over an ordinary house. And this big delegation in all their Splendid gallantry and outfits worthy of a reception with a king of splendor stepped inside this poor average house in this average neighborhood. They entered the house and saw the child and his mother and they bowed down and they worshipped him, this little child in diapers, only one or two years old, the king. This is probably one of the most unlikely scenes that anyone would have ever seen, full of contradictions, a stark contrast. Prestigious, wise men worshiping this child king. No palace, no guards, no army, no wealth, no worldly splendor, no clothing, just a child king of the Jews, the Messiah, the savior of the world. This was the upside-down nature of the kingdom. Real power and authority in the universe didn't lay in Herod's temple, but it rather laid in the, with this child, God himself. The wise men followed the stars and now worshipped the one who hung the stars and had used the star to lead them to himself. How amazing is that? In the culture of those times when, when anyone visited royalty, they brought lavish gifts worthy of royalty. But these were unlikely gifts for this average-looking child in this average town. Interestingly, they gave gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and they say that they didn't give it to his parents. They actually gave it to him, to this little ch child here. They say that gold represents royalty, that frankincense represents Jesus's priesthood because frankincense was incense that was burned in the temple giving a pleasing aroma to the Lord and that myrrh was an embalming agent and painkiller representing Jesus's future death and suffering on the cross and his resurrection and then God warned them in a dream not to return to Herod and in obedience at such a great risk they went home through another route how did the Magi respond in worship? They sought the truth by following the star and studying the ancient prophecies. 
They bowed at the sight of Jesus. They gave their gifts, their precious gifts, as an act of worship. And they obeyed God in a dream not to go back to Herod. You see, their journey, their obedience, their worship was not cheap or casual, but it was a costly worship, a costly worship, true worship that required true humility. You see, the wise men were on this professional lifelong quest for truth and for wisdom and for knowledge in their lives. That was their careers. That was their profession. And at the feet of Jesus, they experienced the true secret of what wisdom was, being humble to worship the king. Proverbs 9 verse 10 says, the fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. The wise men, I believe, discovered that that day at the feet of this baby, Jesus. So that leaves me with this. How would you respond? What I want to do is I want to spend some time, I want you to examine your heart and ask yourself the question, what character in this narrative, which character in this narrative do you identify yourself with? And ask yourself, am I like King Herod? Does my life maybe revolve around my own kingdom that I've created for myself? Have I made myself my own God? Can you say, do you, do you say, I can't stand the signs that, that God is always putting out for me through my friends and through my relatives and my church because it will force me to worship him and not myself? If this year 2020 has, has shown us anything, it has shown us this, that we may not be in control of the world that's around us. Do, I, do we identify at times like the religious leaders? Maybe you grew up in church, you knew all the Bible answers, and you know that God is calling you to something more, but instead you are lukewarm and you are apathetic. When God calls you and challenges you to something greater, instead you submit to the voices of your peers, the voices of the world, and the voices of the enemy. That is a dangerous place to be. Or do we strive to be like the Magi, who had this intense hunger and this desire to want to follow the star, to seek the king, to experience his presence in worshiping him in the here and now, a costly worship. I know if I look back on my own personal story, I see that God has been trying to get my attention for years as a kid and as a young person. He has been trying to shoot signs all over my life to get my attention. And I was like that unlikely visitor. Growing up, my parents told me about Jesus. My grandparents told me about Jesus. My church told me about Jesus. My Sunday school taught me about Jesus. The Bible taught me about Jesus. There were sounds, no matter where I looked, there were signs all around me pointing me to himself. But I didn't respond. It wasn't until I was a teenager and I heard the testimonies from other teens that looked like me and dressed like me, did it finally click as a sign. When I heard these testimonies that these other teens shared, they spoke as if they personally knew Jesus. They spoke as, as if they personally have met him. They spoke as if, just like the wise men, they have had a personal encounter with him. And they knew him and they heard his voice and they experienced him. 
And the difference was that for me, I knew all about Jesus. I knew all the stories. I knew all the verses. I knew all the songs. I, I knew all these things in the Bible. But they were speaking as if they actually knew who he was and they knew him as a person. And that was a sign enough for me where I decided to surrender and then this hunger was sparked by the Holy Spirit. And I realized if, if you can know God like this, then I had to go out and I had to seek him. I had to know him. And when I finally did, I realized that it was actually him that had found me. Sadly and tragically in the world today and, and in our country, there may be many of us here today that, that say, you know what, I just don't have that deep hunger and that deep curiosity to go out and seek after God, to seek out after the signs that he's clearly placed. If we're honest with ourselves, sometimes we, we feel like this. We say that the hunger is not here. And you might say, yeah, I see the star, I see its brightness, but I'm too lazy to go after it. Well, what I want to do today is I, I want to give you a framework. I want to give you a framework on, on, on how to recapture and how to prime that curiosity and that hunger again. I wish I could tell you there are three easy steps or some pill to take or something that can give you that, that instant gratification and can get you to that place right away. But this deep level hunger is something that you can only develop through prayer and through fasting. What if, what if everything that happened in 2020 was just preparing us to, to pivot us as a people to be positioned to spiritually face 2021? This January as a church, we are going to be embarking on this 40 days of prayer together. We believe as a denomination, the Christian and Missionary Alliance, that prayer is the primary work of God's people. Prayer is seeking the king. So how can you join? As your pastor, I want to put a challenge out to you and call everyone to the plate to take that first step and participate together. We're just providing the framework, but it's up to you to take that step and to push in. First, sign up to fast for one day. Sign up to fast for one day out of the 40 days or more if you like. We're going to have three open slots per day where you could sign up to fast. Maybe you're someone that you've never fasted before from, from anything. You've never fasted from food before, which, which we're going to be doing a water fast. And assuming that it's okay with your, your doctor and your health situation, make a commitment to fast for one day. What fasting is, it's a discipline that allows you to put aside your basic desires of your nature, your, your distractions like food, so that you can clear some space to focus your desire for God. It's very amazing to see how when you put your desire for food away, what starts to come up in your heart and in your soul, and how you begin to, to, to see the colors of the world and hear the voice of God. Second, we're going to challenge you to sign up to pray for one hour during a 24-hour prayer event that we're doing in February. Maybe you're someone that you've never prayed for one hour of your life. You've never prayed for five minutes, or you, maybe you've never prayed at all. 
But I want to challenge you to commit to pray for one hour, either in person at our locations or online on Zoom. And wait and see what God has to say to you. Third, we're going to challenge you to commit to doing a daily devotional. This involves reading the scripture and reading it and studying it and and answering reflection questions, completing this as as individuals and life groups. Maybe you have a habit of, of reading the news every day or watching Netflix every day, but how about you use it as an opportunity to create a hunger for God's word? Maybe you're someone that's never talked to your kids or your family about Jesus. This could be an opportunity. There is also a youth devotional and a kids devotional that you can do together as a family. What if, what if God is calling us as a church to a new way of living? In fact, not a new way, but just the real way of how sanctified believers are supposed to be living in the first place fully spirit-filled, humbled, seeking him in prayer, engaged in worship. These methods may seem unlikely and and useless to the world and, and a waste of time, but they are the beginning of experiencing true wisdom in Christ, just like what the wise men discovered. We're going to move into a song of worship. And as we do that, I I just want you to examine your hearts and and ask yourself, do I identify as as King Herod where I've created a kingdom for myself? Do I sometimes identify as the the religious teachers that are are indifferent and and have a cost that that is seemingly too great? Or do we identify ourselves as the magi who have this deep hunger and desire to go after God? And I want to challenge you to make a commitment to join us in this 40 days of prayer and fasting and see how this hunger develops in your heart and in your soul. So let's think about these things. Let's meditate on these things and respond to God as we worship together. You see, because the Magi gave God their yes, they brought their worship, they brought their gifts, they obeyed, And then God was able to use them in an incredible way. You see, the story goes on to talk about how after the wise men left, God gave Joseph a dream and told him to quickly escape Egypt because Herod realized that he had been outsmarted and he was now going to exterminate and kill all the boys under two in Bethlehem. How could Joseph do this? How could he immediately get up like that and leave? He probably didn't have that kind of money. He was an average person, working class person. But the Magi brought the resources of gold needed to probably pay for that long journey for their family hundreds of miles away to live in Egypt for an extended period of time and to keep Jesus in safe hiding until God called him to come back. God used those who gave him their yes. Maybe you are that unlikely visitor to worship, that unlikely visitor to church, that unlikely visitor to your life group, that unlikely visitor to be on your knees in the presence of Jesus. The truth is, is that there are no unlikely visitors, that we were all once enemies, but because of Jesus, because of the cross, because he came as the Messiah, 
We have become friends of God and we have been adopted as his children for those who believe. He has come to call all people to himself, drawing all people towards him. Maybe you, like the Magi, are a star pointing others to Christ. So as we close, my challenge to you is this. Let's develop that hunger. Let's develop that curiosity together this Christmas season and this season of New Year to follow the signs that God has given us, leading us deeper and deeper into his presence. For that is the beginning of true wisdom. Thank you, and God bless. It was great having you with us today. We do hope that this sermon inspired you to know Christ and make him known. For more sermons and resources, please visit us at theplantchurch.org.